Well, let us stand for prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity to grow in our knowledge of Thy Holy Word and the faith of Thy Son's Holy Catholic Church. Send Thy Holy Spirit to us to fill our hearts with Thy Word. May it take deep root within us and bear forth much fruit in our lives. And we thank Thee especially, Lord, for the gift of holy baptism, which we will study today. And this we pray in that name which is above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Please be seated. Well, it's good to to be with you today, and hopefully there will be more people joining us shortly. Um, We're going to conclude the part of our teaching on holy baptism um, today, and next week we're going to have a a review. So there will be a test on that section, and it will be next week, but I promise it will be fun uh, as well. So, um, and that part will not be recorded. And then... Uh, After the annual meeting, we'll start again with the second part of this series. Holy Baptism. We believe that God himself came into this world in the person of Jesus. Jesus himself is the ultimate sacrament. What is a sacrament? Uh, A sacrament is when God uses the created order, to manifest his presence, his grace, his healing, his love, his mercy, his truth, his goodness to us. So it's something of the created order through which God touches his people. In holy baptism... The outward invisible sign is water. The inward and and spiritual grace that is conveyed is union with Christ, with his life, his death, his resurrection, um, and the uh, becoming members of, of the church. Jesus himself is the ultimate sacrament. In Jesus, we know God. In Jesus, we know the presence of God among us. We know the love of God and the truth of God and the goodness of God and the wonder of God. Even now, you don't have to wait till you die to know God. God isn't thinking, well... When Father Michael dies, then I'll have a relationship with him. No, right from the beginning, God has called me and called you into a relationship with him. However, he won't force us to be in a relationship with him. As most of you know, I'm I'm married. Uh, My wife's name is is Christine. And uh, if I could force her to love me, this would not be a real relationship, would it? If I had some magic powers and could be like, Christine, you will love me, and Christine 
uh, had to obediently uh, listen, you know, oh, I love you, right? That wouldn't be a real relationship. For it to be real, her love must be, I must love her and her love must be returned freely, be reciprocated freely for it to be real. And so God calls us into relationship with him, but we can reject him. We can reject that gift. Okay. Um, part of the sacrament is, um, or, or all of the sacrament really, is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, the waters of baptism would simply be water. They wouldn't be sacramental. They, the waters would not be a means through which God joins us to the life of his son, Jesus Christ. Right? We would simply, they would simply be water. Apart from the Holy Spirit, bread and wine would simply be bread and wine. They would not be, as St. Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a participation, a communion, an intimate fellowship with the body and blood of Christ. They'd simply be bread and wine. Apart from the Holy Spirit, the Bible would simply be words. But the Holy Spirit makes them the living word of God. And so the Holy Spirit is present at baptism. So in this particular teaching, it says, In baptism, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30. And in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. From 1 Corinthians 12.13. So we were sealed. Now, a lot of people misunderstand that word sealed. Okay? First of all, it's not a seal. Right, okay? It's not that kind of seal. So you can put that aside, right? Okay? And a lot of people think, well, you know, it's a seal like on an envelope, right? It's a seal. But it actually is the seal like where an emperor or a governor or a king puts his seal on something and it becomes official. It becomes a declaration, okay? And that declaration brings to reality the will of the emperor, the king, or the governor. And so upon us, we have the seal of the living God. We are marked as his declaration. And the declaration is this. We are Christ's own forever. One of my favorite lines in the baptismal liturgy is you are sealed. I take oil, chrism, that's been consecrated by the bishop, and I make the sign of the cross on the newly baptized, and I say, so-and-so, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. Marked as Christ's own Mako. So you better get Mako, right? You remember those ads? 
you know, you're in a car accident, things are, are not good, and, and what does the man say on the ad? Uh-oh, you better get Mako. Well, think of the fall of mankind as this horrible accident where we who were created in the image of God are, in, are, um, are greatly marred. That image is greatly marred. And uh, the father looks at us and says, uh-oh, you better get Mako. You better get marked as Christ's own. And so it's the Holy Spirit in whom we are marked as Christ's own and joined to Christ through baptism. And now that we are in Christ, we become the adopted sons and daughters of God. And therefore, we share the relationship that Jesus shares with his Father. Okay? Um, As some of you know, Sarah, our oldest daughter, is ours um, by birth. That's why she's so good-looking, right? Because she looks like her mother. That's what I meant. Yeah, right? Rebecca, who's also quite beautiful, actually, uh, is ours by adoption. Once we received Rebecca into our hearts, do you think we had any distinction between Sarah and Rebecca? Or do you think our love for Rebecca was equal to that of Sarah? Of course. In fact, except when I'm teaching, I often don't even think about it. Why? Because by adoption, she is simply mine. My little girl. My baby girl. And the love I have for Sarah as my daughter, I have for Rebecca as my daughter. And everything that is Sarah's is Rebecca's. Now take that analogy with God. Jesus is the Father's Son from all eternity and is his son by nature. Jesus is truly the only son of God by nature, from all eternity. But we, who are baptized through the saving waters of holy baptism, are adopted, and we are brought in to the relationship that Jesus shares with his Father in heaven. And all that is Christ's by nature from all eternity is now ours by adoption and grace. And the very love that the Father has had for his own Son from all eternity, he now has for you and for me. Once we are washed in the blood of Jesus in holy baptism, the Father sees his Son in us. And he rejoices in us. And he makes no distinction. Well, this is my son from all eternity, and these are the adopted ones. No. He says, these are my sons and daughters. And I love them, the very love I've had for Jesus from all eternity. 
So on one hand, apart from Jesus, we are fallen, broken, sinful, stumbling people. But in Christ, we have all worth and value and dignity because we are the sons and daughters of God. In fact, you have a dignity and a worth and value that's even greater than St. Michael the Archangel and St. Gabriel the Archangel. Because you are the sons and daughters of God. You are the sons and daughters of God. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies those waters so that they are no longer ordinary waters, sanctifies those waters so that through them we become joined intimately, personally with Jesus. And it's in Jesus that we know God as our Father. Remember in the sermon, the unapproachable, unknowable, incomprehensible, ineffable God. We know personally in Jesus through the Spirit, and we call God Father. We call God Father. So in baptism, we are sealed, we are marked With the Holy Spirit. Would someone look up Ephesians 4, verse 30, and read that? Um, In fact, if you would really be brave, come up here and face the camera so it can be heard. Ephesians 4, verse 30. Come on up, Michael. In fact, we have Michael the Archangel here today. Not to be confused with Michael the Archdeacon. That yeah. That. Ephesians four thirty. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So be kind, be kind to one another. Go sit down. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> thank you, Mike. Thank you. Um, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. And those things that were of your former life are not to be part of you anymore. You, you no longer live your old life. You now live in Jesus, and you have a dignity and a worth and a value that's greater than any other part of creation. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. You know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, I was baptized um, Presbyterian, or I was baptized Roman Catholic, or I was baptized a Methodist. And There's only one problem with with speaking that way. It's incorrect. (laughs) One is not baptized a Presbyterian or baptized a Roman Catholic or baptized an Anglican. One is baptized 
into Jesus. One is baptized a Christian, and the word Christian doesn't mean what most people think it means, a follower of Jesus and his teachings. The word Christ means anointed one. So Christians are anointed ones. By whom have they been anointed and sealed? The Holy Spirit. It's in the Holy Spirit that we are marked as Christ's own forever and in whom we know God as our Father. Know God as our Father. And, uh, and so it's important that we understand that we are baptized Christians. We are baptized into the one body of the church, which from the apostolic time, the apostolic age, the time of Christ and the apostles, which goes to approximately 100, 110 um, A.D., okay, um, was known as the Catholic Church. Not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Catholic Church. So you are baptized into one church, Christ's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That's the church into which you have been baptized. Into whom you have been baptized is Christ himself. And because you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, you are now known by the name Christian. Christian. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit first joins a person to the body of Christ. Remember, there's one Lord... One faith, one baptism. And yet, a lot of times people talk about, yes, I was baptized, but then I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, according to the scriptures, it's when in baptism we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. Now, the word baptism means to be immersed in. There are times when the Father bestows upon us, in the name of his Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit in a special way. And we are immersed anew in the Holy Spirit. And this is often called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But theologically, there is one baptism. One. That's biblical and creedal. One baptism for the forgiveness of sin. And so denominations have made whole doctrines out of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And first and foremost, what does it mean? It means God pouring out his Spirit upon us in baptism so that we are marked as Christ's own. Because by joining us to Christ, we know God is our Father. And yes, there are times when the Father pours out that Spirit anew. And that's sometimes also called the baptism of the Spirit, though I often won't use that term because I think it's confusing to people. Because the Scripture is clear that there's one baptism. But yes... We receive that gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism. And that our Father pours out the Spirit upon us 
at other times in our lives. When the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius in his household, Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 11, 15 to 16. And so he sees the Spirit of God being poured upon these Gentiles, just as the Father poured out his Spirit upon the church on the first day of Pentecost. And then, right away, Peter says, who can forbid these persons' baptism now? And what baptism was he talking about? Baptism with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, because God had revealed through, uh, through Peter in that event that the Gentiles were called as well into Christ. Into Christ. New life in Christ. Baptism is immersion, as I said, the literal meaning of baptism, to be immersed in Jesus, to be immersed in Jesus. Baptism is immersion into a life of catechesis, that is, instruction in the faith. That's why we are here today. It's not, well, you know, I was baptized, therefore I have a ticket to ride. Baptism is like the wedding day. It's the beginning. And then we live out the marriage. And so it is in Christ. In baptism, we are joined to Christ. We become members of his body, the church. We become collectively part of his bride and are joined to the groom, Jesus but then we must live out the marriage, right? How would it go over if I said to Christine 15 plus years ago, that was a pretty good wedding day. Actually, it was, it was not because of Christine. It was a terrible day. And you can ask Christine. She'll say that too. We rejoice that God made us one, but the rest of the day didn't go all that well. Everything that could go, it ended with ambulances and everything. I'm not kidding. But that's for another day. Um, but if I said to Christine at the end of that wedding day, Wow, that was, a, that was great. So, it's going to have no impact on the rest of my life, though. Or very little impact day to day. In fact, i got to go. Susie's here. I mean, how would that go over? <laughs> Mike, not Susie. <laughs> you might want to edit that whole thing out. <laughs> Although Sarah, when she was little, once said... Daddy, if mommy dies, would you get remarried? And I said, I don't know, honey. That's up to Jesus. She says, well, if you do, I think it should be Deacon Susie. And, and I said, well, that's very sweet. Mike might have something to say about that. <laughs> Not to mention Deacon Susie. <laughs> but that was sweet. Right? See, in baptism, we are joined to Christ as a bride is to her groom, and then that must be lived out. That must be lived out. And so we begin a, a life of discipleship. Now here it says following Christ, but I'm going to say even more than that, that to be discipled means to live a life of discipline in the Lord. Disciple, 
D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E, same root as discipline. To have a godly discipline in Christ Jesus. So someone may say, yes, I'm a Christian by baptism, but am I truly a disciple of Christ? That's something we don't talk enough about. Am I a disciple of Christ? Do I live out my new life in Jesus every day? If you don't, please leave. No, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm sorry. She can't get in. Someone needs, okay, here we go. We must grow in our faith every day. That, that wonderful verse in the Bible, Father, I believe, help my unbelief. This is what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, to grow in him. Confirmation is not the end of discipleship. While baptism forgives sin through faith in Jesus Christ, it is also a call to repeated repentance and conversion. It's not a one-time thing. It begins a life of costly discipleship, living as the faithful spouse of Christ. Ephesians 5 31 to 32. Would you like to read that, please, Richard? Come up here. Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. Amen. And so we are, thank you, Richard. And so we are called to a life of discipleship. So here's a question for us to ask this week. We may be Christians by baptism, but are we disciples? Are we living out our faith in Jesus day to day? Are we living out that call to repeated repentance and conversion? Are we growing in our faith? Is sharing in the life of Christ our highest priority? Well, those who were newly baptized in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, we're told in verse 42 that they all um, continued in the apostles' teaching. See, when we are baptized, it's not what I believe. It's not what you believe. It's what God has revealed in his son Jesus. And that we know from the Holy Scriptures. We have the Bible. God's word, what God has desired for us to know. And it's God's word, whether you recognize it or not. It's always God's word. And so we, um, we are called to submit ourselves to God's word. Is that always comfortable? No. 
Do we always understand? No. Do we always agree? Sometimes not at first. Sometimes agreement comes through submission to God's word. We are called to submit. The scriptures tell us that no part of scripture is for private interpretation. Right? It's not for private interpretation. It's not what, what do I think the Bible says. It's what has come down to us from Christ and the apostles. When we are baptized, we are baptized into what God has revealed to his church. We are baptized into a family faith. Not what do I want to believe and what I don't want to believe. Sarah um, and I have talked about theology uh, quite a bit at, at home. And the very first thing that I taught her formally about uh, theology is that when it comes to theology, and this is something radical to us in our day and age and in our culture and society. But the very first thing I told Sarah is My your personal opinion is irrelevant. That goes against the grain of our culture, our society. God has revealed to us out of love and because he desires for us to be in relationship with him, and because he wants us to live whole and holy and healthy lives in him, he has revealed to us through his word. And when there is discrepancy upon his word, then we look to what the body of Christ, what the Holy Spirit has revealed through the whole church the ancient Catholic Church, what did they understand and believe these scriptures to mean? So I've given this example before, and so I'm going to give it quickly now. But years ago when I was in seminary, I came across um, two people having a discussion regarding the, the presence or lack thereof of Christ in the Eucharist. And so one was arguing against it and the other for it. And as I came along, one of them said, Hey, McKinnon, what do you believe regarding the presence of Christ in the Eucharist or the lack thereof? And as a good Anglican, I didn't say, Well, this is what Cramner taught, or this is what Richard Hooker taught, or John Jewell, or Lancelot Andrews, or this is what I believe. As a good Anglican, I said, it's irrelevant what I believe. This is what we have received from the scriptures and from the early church, the whole church, east and west. And that is what I receive and believe. When a person put forth the proposition that... Um, uh, Christ also said he was a door, but that didn't mean he was uh, an eight or nine foot piece of wood with a knob, right? Because the scriptures say that. So what do I believe? Again, I would say it's irrelevant. And I'd say, you know what, that's easy. 
You know, the church always believed, east and west, the whole church, that the scriptures proclaim as the revelation of God that Jesus Christ is present in a special way in the sacrament of his body and blood. The church has never believed that Jesus was an eight or nine foot plank of wood with a knob. You see, so the Anglican doesn't look to himself and say, well, well, what do I believe? What makes sense to me? He looks back at the scriptures first and foremost and to the faith of the early church east and west. What was received as being truly God's revelation through his word in the whole church. Not what I believe, not what Father Michael believes, not what the bishop believes, not what the Pope believes, not what Billy Graham believes, but what God has revealed for us to believe in his son Jesus Christ through his word and has received by the whole church east and west. The baptized grow in faith through the means of grace, word, and sacrament, and through prayer, service, study, fasting, and other spiritual disciplines. Disciplines, that is, what a disciple does. Quote, and he gave the apostles, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. That is, we are to grow discipleship. We are to grow in Christ not simply remain children in Christ. And every gift that is given, whether it be ordination, bishop, priest, and deacon, the three offices and orders of the church, or whether it be the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues or the gift of teaching or the gift of hospitality, it is not for the person that it's given. In other words, I wasn't made a priest for the sake of Michael McKinnon. Though it may have been a little bit for the sake of my mother. She really wanted me to be a priest. She was very happy about that. But, see, it's not for the individual. It's not for the person. What is it for? The gifts and the orders, the offices of the church. For the church. For the building up of the body of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. I mean, this would not go over well, but one of the messages of the gospel could be summed up this way. And I'm speaking to myself as well as to you. Get over yourself. It's not about you. Service above self. It's not about you. Can you imagine next Sunday... Of course, people would be happy that it was short. I came down, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Get over yourself. Live no longer for yourself, but for Jesus and the gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and turned around and walked back. Right. But in a sense, that is the gospel. 
death to self and new life in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I in Christ. Why? Not for myself, but to the glory of God and for the building up, the edification of the church as the body of Christ. We live for one another, and most of all for him. Every once in a while, Christine will remind me when I come home, oh, so-and-so, I don't think they like me. <laughs> I don't think that went well, and I don't think this is going to have a good impact. And she'll say, well, remember you, you serve for an audience of one. And that one is God. Jesus. And so the question is, are you doing what he has called you to do for the building up of the body of Christ and to his honor and glory? Or is it about you being liked and well-received so that when you leave someday, a long time from now, people say, he was a great priest. I know there's no stopping you in doing that. <laughs> in fact, if you want to start now and get practice, that no, I'm kidding. Being baptized into Christ is to be incorporated into the community of Christ with responsibility and accountability to the body as a whole lived in fulfillment of our vocation as children of God and disciples of Christ. So many people think that we're baptized into an individual relationship with Jesus, me and Jesus, Jesus and me. You know, we go together like she, you know, you know that song? That's not what it is. You are baptized, you are called into the family of God, into the covenant of God, into the community of God, into the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. You receive the faith of the family. Now we are called to receive the faith that God has revealed in Jesus himself into our hearts personally. But personally is not the same as individually. That's why I love the old way of saying the creed that we do here. We start off with, I believe. And when they wrote the creed, it was, we believe. This is what God has revealed to the church. But when we gather as the body of Christ, what we are saying by saying, I believe, is we are saying, the faith that God has revealed to the family, I've received in my heart, and now I profess it from my heart together with my brothers and sisters and offer it back to God and proclaim it to him and to the world. The I love you too to God's I love you. He first loves us. Whenever something, in fact, you, you would, if you're called to an order of the church, an office of the church, bishop, priest, or deacon, or one of the gifts, of course we all have gifts um, that we are called to exercise in the church, if it's ever pointing to you, if it's about you, right, rather than pointing beyond itself to God and the building up of others, then something is wrong. 
In fact, vestments are meant to de-emphasize the particular priest or bishop or deacon. Each vestment has something to do with the gospel, with the body of Christ, and with Jesus Christ himself as the one true priest. Right? It's meant to de-emphasize the person. And so whenever something is about us, we're on the wrong, we're on the wrong track. Some of you know, know this, um, but years and years ago now, let's see, been here 13 in almost a half years. So this must have been about 14 and a half years ago. And I didn't know how, but it became is maybe the second most clear thing to me in my whole life that I was being called to this little house church in a town called Marlboro, Massachusetts. And I was presently serving a church similar to, to this one, with solemn high mass every week. And I was also the dean of the deanery, which was the equivalent of being an archdeacon. And I remember when it first dawned on me that this was about as clear as it's going to get. And I had no idea how this would work out. And God had to move literally mountains for it to, to take place. But I remember thinking, Lord, you're making it clear that I'm actually called to this little church of less than 20 people. But it, it's outside my deanery. In other words, I won't be dean anymore. I won't be able to wear the, the purple. Right? And I won't be in this beautiful church. And as soon as I said it, I realized that those words were perhaps some of the dumbest words I've ever thought in my life. Well, you realize I won't be dean anymore. Oh, I didn't think about that, Michael. Oh boy, what are we going to do about that? Right? You realize I won't be in this, oh boy. Won't be solemn high mass every week, you know. All right, let me go back and think about this. I mean, that's not how God writes, right? Because it's not about me. It's about how God desires for me to serve him to the honor and glory of his name in the building up of his church. And because I did it, even though I didn't know how God would pull it off, but he did, and I came, there hasn't been a single day where I questioned the rightness of responding with a yes to that call of God. Not a single day. I mean, there's been plenty of days where I've said, really? <laughs> right? But not a single day where I questioned that I was actually called to come. And so if it's about us, then there's something, there's something wrong. We don't have time to get into this, but this is true in marriage as well, and in families, right? and of course in the body of Christ. We love God, we love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us take a moment now To reflect upon these words. <laughs> it did fit well. That's why I was like, I was like, that's perfect. 
There, there was one time in one church where um, my phone would actually, when it, the ring was a dong, and um, I was actually doing a, a, a said mass, and when I got to do this in remembrance of me, somebody called, and I, when I held it up, it went dong, <laughs> dong, dong, and I'm like, well, that's good, right? <laughs> so. um, what time is it? 12.50, so we have a little bit of time. What about children? The parents and sponsors or godparents of a baptized infant should understand their commitment to raise the child in the faith. Discipleship, whether an adult or a child or baby, begins at baptism. They are to grow up knowing a little bit more fully every day what it is that God has done for them through holy baptism. There should never be a time in a child's life who was baptized as an infant where they are not being discipled by the parents, by the godparents, by the body of Christ so that they will grow up knowing what God has done for them. You know, I joke, I, I joked in my sermon last week, I mean, it was true, but I, I you, you know that when I was in the ambulance and the, uh, the ambulance uh, person was calling it in that, you know, his blood pressure continues to go down. I've given him this and this. Be ready as soon as we, we get there. And, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to die. And uh, any second Jesus could come for me. So I thought to myself, what do I want Jesus to catch me doing? Right? So I took off the mask and said to the woman, do you believe in Jesus? Right? Because if he came for me right in that moment, I was going to be like, see? See what I did? Right up to the last moment, dying, still, do you, wow, right? Like Jesus is going to be wowed by anything that I did, right? See, when we're baptized as infants, it's not what we have done for God, it's what God has done for us and his son Jesus. And that's given to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not about us. And what we have done, but what he has done for us. So why do we do good things? In response, when we are overwhelmed by the love that God has for us and what he has done, we won't be able to help but to live that out. To live that out. So the, the parents and the godparents... The sponsors of the child being baptized are to make sure that they're raised in the faith, ensuring their participation in weekly worship and Christian education. So that in coming to worship, they may experience through the Holy Spirit the presence of Christ in the gathering of the community, the fellowship of the church within that gathered community, the proclamation and the power of his word, and to receive the presence of Christ in a special way in the sacrament of his body and blood. As Paul says, the cup that we bless, is it not a communion with the blood of Christ, the bread that we break? Is it not a communion with the body of Christ? And so we bring the children to church 
that those who have been born again, who have been born spiritually through baptism, may be nourished now with the sacrament of his body and blood. If you're born, you have to be fed. They should teach them the scriptures, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the creeds. You know, when Thomas Cramner was working, the first Archbishop of Canterbury at the time of the English Reformation, when he was um, working on simplifying the, uh, the ancient liturgy of the church and bringing it back into the vernacular, the English, um, from, the, from the Latin, one thing he did was to incorporate what the little children were supposed to know into the liturgy. Now, the creed was already there, and they had to know the creed. And the creed was already there. Why? As I said today, because the creed is not simply a rest, is not the recitation uh, uh, to recite um, a, a historic document. No, it's a charismatic event. It's an event of the Holy Spirit where the church, the body of Christ, proclaims from the heart what God has revealed in his son Jesus through the word. So the creed was already there, and the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, and so he put in the Ten Commandments, and we still, to this day, do the Ten Commandments at least once a month uh, within the liturgy. Then confirmation is the ideal occasion for baptized children and adults who have been baptized to affirm, but in this case children, for themselves the vows that were made on their behalf when they were infants. And so saying, I've been brought up to the faith, and now from my own heart I proclaim what was proclaimed on my behalf. Through baptism, we are made members of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church from the Nicene Creed, which is the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and Ephesians 1, 22 to 23. Therefore, we live in true but imperfect fellowship with all those who believe and are baptized. So we are in communion though because of sin still in the world imperfectly, but with one another. Baptism also unites us with the church triumphant in heaven. And of course, waiting the final heaven at the second coming of Christ. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. See, vestments are in heaven too. In festal gathering. And to the assembly, that is the church of the firstborn, those who are in Christ, who are enrolled in heaven. Hebrews 12, 22 to 23. As members of the church, we are giving gifts for the building up of Christ. Ephesians 4, 12. We are not giving gifts for the sake of ourselves, but for the building up of the body of Christ. As I often say to the parish council when it gathers, 
Don't come seeking your will or come trying to bring your wisdom. Come and discern with the others God's will for his church in this place. And seek with me the wisdom of God. We are called to use those gifts with joy, sharing, and Christian ministry and mission. Therefore, baptized Christians are not to be spectators, but fully engaged in the life and ministry of the church. Uh, my priest, when I was growing up, used to say Christianity is not a spectator sport. You actually get right in to the game. Since baptism joins the baptized to the church, the sacrament should be administered when the Christian community is gathered for worship, not apart from the body of Christ. And this is a sobering thought, and we'll end on this and then take any questions. Because baptism makes all the baptized one, the many divisions in the church are a scandal to our Christian witness. A scandal. Anglicanism has for quite a long time called the whole church to return to the principles of unity exemplified by the early church before the sad divisions within her under the authority of the Bible. We have called the whole church to embrace the one canon of Holy Scripture the one faith revealed by God through his holy word and the creeds and the councils that have articulated that faith from Holy Scripture, the one sacramental life of the church and the one ordained ministry of the church, bishop, priests, and deacon, deacons ordained by bishops going back to Christ and the apostles. And yet to, to this day, there remains divisions among Anglicans there remain divisions uh, among all, all the different Christians. And it's a scandal to the non-believer and to those who follow other religions in this world that we have divided what cannot be divided. The body of Christ. And so it is uh, a scandal and so, yes, we must work on the unity of the church. Um, I have been asked by people, well, but what about some changes? You, you know, are we supposed to wait for the church to be one before we make changes so that the whole church together can discern it under the Scripture? I mean, we might be waiting for centuries. And my answer to that is always yes. Let us work first on the unity of the church that we be one before we innovate anything, even if we think it's right. After all, what are we lacking, ultimately? We have all that we need for salvation. But the more different Christian traditions and denominations innovate, add or subtract from the ancient Catholic faith under the authority of Scripture, the less likely we will ever be one which is the one prayer of Jesus Christ for his church, that we may be one, even as he and the Father are one. As I say, we want Jesus to answer our prayers. Can we answer his one prayer, that we be one, even as he and the Father are one?
And so, with, like any relationship, any covenant, the more there's innovation, the less likely the unity breaks down, the trust breaks down, and the less likely it becomes that there will ever be oneness. The example I always use is uh, in a marriage. Do I have, in my marriage, do I have a certain autonomy? Yes, it's very minuscule, but yes. Uh, if I stop on the way home at uh, Subway, do I have to call Christine and get her permission? No. But can I stop at the Ford dealer and bring home a Mustang, a GT? Oh, yes, you say? No. No, why? Because that, that's going to, to compromise the covenant. I will be exercising my autonomy at the expense of the unity of the relationship. Right? Whenever the church does that, even if you think it's correct, we weaken the trust of the church, we weaken the body of Christ, and we lessen the chance of our ever being one that we may proclaim. And that's the oneness that's a gift from God in baptism. That's a oneness. So, questions. Questions. Yes, Richard. Did you see that story this week where, I don't like the, way, the headline of this, was the Anglicans are going to rebaptize trans, transition people from one sex to another? Yeah. Um, I did see some article about that, and it was rejected, actually. Yeah, it was rejected. But there was a group of uh, liberals, or progressives, as they like to be called, um, who said that uh, perhaps there should be um, a a liturgy uh, for persons going through that. And it was actually, uh, it was rejected. But yeah, that did come up. Well, I, yeah, it wouldn't be, yeah, it was liturgy, not a baptism, but yeah. 